0: Hey guys, I just wanted to say a little word before we get started with this month's show. In last month's Don't Give This Tape to Earl podcast, I said something staggeringly stupid and staggeringly dangerous, and I wanted to address that real quick. I mentioned Something about having forgotten to take my meds the day that I recorded and saying, Oh, wow, I feel great. Well, about 24 hours later, I was kind of a nervous wreck because I hadn't taken my meds. Now, this was something I was planning on addressing anyway. And then just before I recorded this month's show or about a day before, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden apparently committed suicide. Depression is an unpredictable companion, and it can talk you into doing a lot of stupid things, and it can also talk you into stupid things like thinking you're okay. You know, you can do it without the meds, when in fact you have probably been prescribed those meds for a reason. So, I sincerely apologize for blurting that out in the previous show if you are dealing with depression get help I have been treating mine and getting help with mine for over a year now and maybe someday I'll talk about that in more detail although maybe not (laughs) because everyone's journey with that is different but remember that you're not alone. Remember that there is help out there. There are people who can help, and there are treatments that can help. But you have to let them, whether you're talking about people or the treatments. So I apologize for that statement last month. Anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's get started. Mister Announcer. Yum. Yep. Oh my God! So I'll be alive. Oh my God! The city giver Welcome back, everyone, to Don't Give This Tape to Earl. Having just apologized for one inadvisable thing, I'm now doing another inadvisable thing, and that is I am recording a show with a severe storm (laughs) moving into the area. The fact of the matter is, I've just... I'm late getting behind the mic again this month, second month running, and I am just i am just flat running out of time to do this. It's right before the weekend. The kids are going to be over tomorrow night, and so, yeah, I've got this thing fired up. I've got the windows open. It is incredibly muggy and still outside. Uh, we are under a tornado watch until 3 a.m., And this thing has been dropping tornadoes since western Oklahoma. Yay. So, (laughs) this show might get really interesting. This show might be about last month's topic. (laughs) Even though that's not the plan. Earlier tonight, there was a tornado watch further west, out in sort of central to eastern Oklahoma. And it was kind of funny because the map... that. I called up from the Storm Prediction Center website, which I talked about last month. You know, had all these counties in Oklahoma, and then a gap of a a strip of about one county wide at the very edge of Oklahoma, and then in Arkansas, just my county. This tornado watch is in effect for central and eastern Oklahoma. And Earl! Screw him anyway. So... (laughs) And I brought this to the attention of Facebook, because why not? Other people called it up on their various, you know, weather apps on their phone. Yeah, it it showed up that way for everyone. You know, there was just a big red X over my house, basically. Uh, It turned out this was an error in, uh, in data entry at the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, which issues the watches while the local weather offices issue the warnings. I just uh, I just thought that was funny. Now I'm under a watch for real, and uh, kind of wish I wasn't. But hey, you know what, I didn't want to sleep tonight anyway, I just wanted to stay up podcasting. So it's been an interesting month. I was about 99% of the way to sleep a couple of weeks ago. And, or no, it's, it's, it's been one week. About a, about a week and a half now. Hasn't been that long. Week and a half max. I was lying in bed, mostly asleep. Surrounded by my adorable furballs. When all of a sudden, a cat fight broke out and moved rapidly across my face. Ow. Will be pleased to know that it is healing up nicely. Uh, the one on my forehead can barely be seen. I can feel it more than I can see it. If I run my finger across it I can feel it. The one on my eyelid is... that was a deeper scratch and I had some antibiotic eye drops left over from having pink eye a couple of months back and I just started using those again <laughs> immediately. Because it, the universe really has it in for my eyes this year. Just call me King Lear. So, anyway, cats shredded my face. <laughs> Lots of it. A Writers Guild of America strike was averted at the very last minute. Good. This means we actually have shows where they admit to having written scripts for them instead of acting like they didn't. Uh, best best thing that I saw about a possible writer strike was uh, something that someone said on Twitter. The last time the Writers Guild went on strike, we got the apprentice. For the love of Christ, pay them whatever they want. Yeah. Season 2 of Sense 8 has dropped on Netflix. Sylvester McCoy has joined the cast. Boy, that's. That's an interesting bit of casting, and I like it. Now, Sensei is co-created by J. Michael Straczynski. And speaking of Straczynski's most famous project, Babylon 5, his fellow executive producer, Douglas Netter, who was really kind of the the money man running the show, died at the age of 96 on May the 10th. He had previously been chief operating officer for MGM and just had a lengthy career producing movies and television, A lot of which happened to be sci-fi and a lot of which happened to spring from the mind of Joe Straczynski. So, we have Netter to thank for the fact that Battle on 5 went five seasons because uh, you can be sure that he was at the negotiating table saving the show from syndication. LEGO is going to release in June a Saturn V Apollo rocket. 3 feet tall, 1,969 pieces. I see what they did there, because uh, one of these rockets took men to the moon for the first time in 1969. This is a fantastic model, because everywhere that the rocket is supposed to come apart where it stages, you know, where the rocket would split apart in flight, know dump the heavy engines that had run out of fuel and then fired up new engines to gain altitude until it was in orbit everywhere it's supposed to stage it really stages so I really want one of these <laughs> Canada Post has graced us with a second set of new Star Trek stamps featuring all five TV captains sorry Chris Pine you uh, didn't make the cut. Now here's an interesting thing. Hallmark has revealed its Christmas ornaments for this year. Uh, From Star Trek, of course, they're going to have... I believe they said they're going to have the USS Franklin. or Maybe that was last year's. I don't know. I liked the USS Franklin. I'll be talking or writing more about the Franklin later. But what's really interesting is the new Star Wars ornaments that Hallmark is rolling out. I don't know if this is uh, you know some sort of Wi-Fi Bluetooth voodoo going on but basically they check for each other's presence within a certain radius and if you press the button to play the sound clip or whatever or do the lights or whatever that ornament does, it depending on which other ornaments it detects, you will basically get this whole scene acted out on your Christmas tree or wherever you have your ornaments hanging. That's pretty cool. And it'll play back clips and, you know, do light effects basically to add up to a whole scene from Star Wars. That's kind of neat. Some of the other Hallmark ornaments. Oh, I guess I should, you know, read my own notes. That would be great. Uh, Willy Wonka is going to be an ornament. The Leg Lamp from A Christmas Story is going to be an ornament. And, oh, look here. The USS Franklin from Star Trek Beyond man, who wrote these notes? That guy was really on top of things. The movie 52577 is finally coming out on 52517. This movie, we've been waiting for this for years. It's It's been... it was filmed something like 13 years ago. And basically, it's a movie about how much Star Wars changed the life of one young man. And it's... Kind of an autobiographical story told from the point of view of the writer and director although he doesn't star in it you know he gets someone you know the age that he was in 1977 to uh to play his part so kind of neat there's there's a reason other than the star wars connection that i'm eagerly awaiting 525 oh oh What do we got? You're just now telling me about the Tornado Watch? I knew about the Tornado Watch. But thank you. It's awfully sweet of you, phone, to think of me in this hour of greatest need. Go back to sleep. Okay, where was I? Told you this was going to get interesting. 52577. This is something that has been known for several years. That... In addition to there being a Star Wars connection, there is some music from Alan Parsons. He contributed some music to the soundtrack. What I don't actually know is if he did new tracks for 525.77, or if they just licensed stuff from, I guess it would be iRobot. iRobot is the album that came out immediately after Star Wars. Just... You know, one of those things where, hey, it's a rock opera about robots. Star Wars rolled out about a month ago. It was in the right place at the right time. So I eagerly await 525.77 for a multitude of reasons. Stuff's been canceled. Hate to tell you, a bunch of shows didn't make the cut. Son of Zorn, Powerless, Sleepy Hollow, Frequency, Emerald City time after time. Uh, That had just started. Good grief. And incorporated. Sorry, guys. Alright, we've got some science back from the early passes of Jupiter by the Juno spacecraft. It's getting really interesting at that planet. I mean, we had theories as to what's going on out there inside the planet. Ah, they're wrong. So wrong. It turns out that the center of magnetism, the driver of Jupiter's massive and powerful magnetic field, is not the core of the planet. It's something further up in the atmosphere or possibly where the atmosphere meets a solid layer of whatever is at the core, but it is not in the core. And the other thing is, apparently, this center of magnetism is moving within the atmosphere. So it's not something that stays put. Like I said, it's not the core. Um, I think we all know what's going on here. It's a bunch of monoliths. Seriously, though. There is a naturally occurring magnetic field of at least 9 Gauss intensity. Now, this isn't really a huge deal. An industrial bulk eraser for magnetic tape, when you start it, while you're erasing the tape, it generates a field of about 2,000 to 3,000 Gauss. So 9 Gauss may not seem like a lot of electromagnetic energy. However, here's the thing. The strength of Earth's magnetic field at surface altitude is less than 1 Gauss. So you have this fantastically huge planet emitting nine gauss all the way around, chances are Jupiter would still erase your tapes, so don't send any mixtapes to Jupiter. Really bad idea. There's a new 8-bit weapon album out. DLC, the OST. It's kind of an interesting little uh, statement. Basically, it's what if the music industry released incomplete or partial music the way the video game industry does games. And what it is, is it's an EP, and you get several tracks, and you do get the full song. You know, there's basically a a single around which this EP revolves. But then you get that single in various cut-down forms, you know, as if they decided to stop releasing the song and wait for someone to send money. Um... Since 8-Bit Weapon (laughs) consists of friends of mine, I did send them money. There is a new Radiophonic Workshop album out called Burials in Several Earths. Now, if you're wondering who the Radiophonic Workshop is, these are pioneers of electronic music from the UK, formerly known as the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, These are the people who were working on music for Doctor Who from the 1960s until the end of the original series. And this is their first album of new material since the 80s. Pioneering electronic musicians Dick Mills, Roger Lim, Peter Howell, Patty Kingsland, who also did music for The the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Really smooth there, Earl. And Mark Ayers and Karen Pepper more recent members, Mark is now the archivist who organizes the huge amount of material that the Radiophonic Workshop built up at the BBC's Might of Veil Studios between the 50s and the 90s. Anyway, all new album of original music by them, and they are... they're touring it. I mean, some of these guys are not... I'm going to try to be charitable about it. They are not young men. So it's really impressive. If you're in the UK and you can make one of their tour dates, go, because it's possible it could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Speaking of the BBC, the BBC will be doing a three-part Victorian-era adaptation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Peter Hartness, who has written... written. recent Doctor Who episodes boy, I'm just all over it tonight is adapting the story and leaving it in its original setting in both in terms of both geography and time, the way that Wells wrote it. And it's kind of funny because you think of how War of the Worlds has been adapted for TV or radio or movies over the years the movies and the TV show invariably brought the story to America, and the radio show did too, except the radio show was kind of a... uh, was kind of a think piece on the Red Scare, a, a very subversive one at that. But no one has told the story in its original setting in the UK in the Victorian era, so that'll be quite interesting. Lala La Land Records has released three CDs worth of music from the 1970s Wonder Woman series. The focus of most of the music is really the second season, but years one and three are represented, and I am an unabashed fan of the first year. <sighs> Which was set in World War II, and didn't have this thing blaring in my ears. A severe thunderstorm warning. Oh, really? I've already got one of those. You didn't have to do that. Okay. So, live radio. Wonder Woman soundtrack. It's I, I haven't gotten very far into my copy of it yet, but I really like what I hear. Yes, it's cheesy. Yes, it's disco era, but it's it's some of the best TV music that that era had to offer. And so I'm really enjoying it so far. There's new stuff in the logbook.com's Red Bubble store. The the really big one, the really big new item that we have in the Red Bubble store is that I got a look at a mission insignia that would have been used, you know, for patches and pins and other things for a NASA mission called Mariner Jupiter Saturn 77. Now, this insignia was never used. Basically, what I did was I recreated it as best I could and then rendered it out so it looks like it is a fabric embroidered patch and so you can now get a a shirt that has this thing that looks like a patch screened onto the shirt or you can get pillows whatever you like now the reason the mission insignia for Mariner Jupiter Saturn 77 was never used is that someone had the really brilliant brainstorm that you know what Mariner Jupiter Saturn 77 is quite a mouthful, and no one is going to want to say it. Internally, they were already calling it MJS 77. Well, that wasn't going to fly with the public either. So they renamed the mission Voyagers 1 and 2. This is the 40th anniversary. This year is the 40th anniversary of Voyager 1 and 2 being launched. So this is just the first... Voyager related design to go into the logbook's Red Bubble store, and I ought to go get you some of that. We'll come back to that later. If you've been visiting the site, you will notice that the logbook <laughs> has been reskinned again. I went to a different theme in record time. Sometimes you you pull a WordPress theme onto your site and you think it looks fantastic. And then you realize that there are some elements of the WordPress install that you have hacked to bits to bend to your will to work in a manner completely unlike a blog, which is what WordPress is actually supposed to handle. And then you realize that the, your, uh, your customization of the software is not playing nice with the theme, so I had to find a theme that it would work well with. And uh, I really like how it looks. This is how it's going to stay for a while. Now, along with that, there is a section of the site that has been sorely under-promoted and under-exposed that is going to be getting a makeover. I'm almost done with it, and I'll probably be uh, hitting the hard switch to go to the new version of the logbook.com forums just any day now it contains all of the messages from the original forum which was running on PHP BB and I decided to get away from that because I just I had lots of issues with PHP BB including security in no matter how strenuously I tried to keep it up to date as yeah, security is always an issue with PHP BB. So I've switched forum software, and here's the cool thing about it, is it now looks exactly like the rest of the site. And there are there are some other neat features in there. There is an event and episode calendar that has been front-loaded with movie premiere dates and episode air dates for stuff like Game of Thrones, American Gods, Doctor Who, Twin Peaks, you name it. So we'll be going to the new forums very, very soon. Keep an eye out for that. things I have been watching and listening to. We were talking a little bit earlier about the Voyager 1 and 2 missions, and I recently got a nifty little package in the mail from a Kickstarter that I backed toward the end of last year, which was the remastering and release, the first ever commercial release authorized by NASA and JPL of the Voyager Golden Record, which of course was the the LP disc that is affixed to the side of the spacecraft underneath a, you know, very robust cover. So, uh, yeah, basically we're being hipsters and we're sending vinyl out to the universe. What the Voyager Golden Record remaster is, is that they have taken the audio contents of the Voyager Golden Record and they have remastered it and put it all in one place. I was only able to back the Golden Record Remastering Project at a low level that got me a download and a pin. And the pin looks like the cover that is over the record on the actual spacecraft. So I've listened to quite a bit of it. It's it's kind of fascinating. Fascinating little time capsule. So yeah, anyone or anything who ever goes listening to that... And they are going to have a picture of Earth that is frozen in time in the spring of 1977. Star Wars hadn't even come out, I wonder if that would have had any impact on it. Probably not. Yeah, we don't want to... <laughs> yeah, We don't want to make it look like we're actually flying X-Wings around because... You know, then E.T. would send in the big guns. Speaking of X-Wings... You've all heard the uh, palette Swap Ninja project called Princess Leia's Stolen Death Star plans, haven't you? Because basically, to the tune of every song, in the correct order, on the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, they are retelling the story of Star Wars Episode Four the musicianship is actually really good on this the vocals and production are actually respectable they're not charging anything for you to go watch it on youtube or download it you can download mp3s and i did (laughs) i also downloaded the youtube videos because this was such an inspired thing and i liked it so much so it just goes to follow that uh... you know it's gonna wind up in some lawyers crosshairs at some point and so I wanted to preserve all of that. But by all means, go get your free download of Princess Leia's stolen Death Star plans. I would really like for them to uh, now remake Rubber Soul and um, retell Rogue One. What have I been watching lately? I have gotten rehooked <laughs> on... A British made English dub of a Japanese live action show. In the UK, the show was retitled Monkey. Now, in Japan, it is a comedic adaptation of the Chinese novel Sayuki, or Journey to the West. A Journey to the West casts a huge shadow over Eastern literature because the original novel was published around it was published in the 1600s and it has been reshaped and retold in a variety of ways Uh, Monkey is hardly the furthest afield that anyone has gotten from the original text Uh, believe it or not Sayuki is also the, the mythological starting point for the Dragon Ball franchise. Anyway Monkey was filmed in the 70's it's it's kind of low budget it, it's got that low budget charm to it it's got a fantastic voice cast on the English dub and it's it's mildly entertaining I'm kind of wrestling with whether or not the accents that were used by the, the dub actors, dubbing it into English might a little bit of a racist stereotype. At the same time, I'm enjoying the show tremendously. I am certain I have seen this before, but... But... We have a bit of a Monkey Mandela effect going on here. According to Wikipedia, Monkey has never been shown in the United States. It was shown only in the UK and in Australia, other places served directly by the BBC. Where could I have possibly seen Monkey if it never aired in the United States? I'm starting to wonder if perhaps it got jammed into an episode or two of Night Flight. Because this is the sort of thing Night Flight would just happily throw at us. So, I'm certain I've seen this show before. I remember the theme song. or maybe I'm losing my mind. Speaking of people losing their minds, let's talk about that Star Trek Discovery trailer. (sighs) This was shown during the CBS Upfront, which was streamed live via the interwebs. And the trailer had to be all of, what, a minute and a half? barely tells you anything. You get to see the new uniforms, you get to see some of the new sets, you get to see the new Klingons, and that really seems to be the sticking point for everyone is, you know, whoa, the Klingons don't look like that. (sighs) Here's the thing, here's the thing, you know, it's been 10 years since Star Trek was on TV, and, you know, all of a sudden we come back and the Klingons have this whole new look. Well, that has never happened before, except the last time that it did in 1979 with Star Trek The Motion Picture. We don't know what the story reason is for the look of these Klingons. They could be some mutant offshoot. They could be monkeying around with their own DNA. This could be related to the Augment DNA storyline that was done in the final season of Star Trek Enterprise. We don't know, because you know what? It's a trailer! So, I'm just... And, you know, people going on and on about, you know, that you know, that looks like a Klingon mummy. Since when do the Klingons have mummies? Well, uh, opening scenes of Star Trek IV where Spock is sitting at this computer terminal being bombarded with various questions in various disciplines to, you know, test his rapid re-education that he's gotten on Vulcan since being brought back to life. One of the answers to one of the questions that he is given involves a Klingon mummification glyph. I <clears throat> actually remembered that, and then I, I dug out the movie itself to make sure that I was remembering it correctly, and I was remembering it correctly. So we've talked about Klingon mummification before for about .5 seconds in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Chill. Chill. It's a trailer. We don't know what the story is. I'm just glad that they've actually filmed some footage. I was starting to think that this thing was... turning into fan film vaporware. You know, like about a third of the fan films that announce that they're going to do something and change the world of Star Trek forever. Yeah, I'm glad to see they've actually shot something. So... I eagerly await the premiere of the series. I still think... CBS or the CW should put it on their primetime schedule instead of relegating it to an online service. Because I think people who need the message of hope and inclusion that Star Trek brings about are not always people who are in a position to, you know, pay a few bucks extra for CBS streaming service for one show. This show really needs to be on the air. And let me tell you, if there's a year where we need a message of hope... This is that year. <laughs> so, chill out, fandom. Chill out. It, it, this reminds me a lot of the the year between the announcement of Star Trek The Next Generation and the actual premiere of the show. And you had people going on about, oh, the captain would never be a bald old guy, and then three years later, they love Captain Picard. Chill. Chill. So a minute or so ago when I said something about digging out Star Trek four to check for that line, uh, I lied. I didn't dig anything out because it's on my media server. Basically what a media server is, it's a computer or a computer-driven system, usually with a lot of storage in it. And it holds your music, it holds your movies, your TV shows. In my case, it also has games on it. In my case, it also runs the little weather screen that uh, I'm sure everyone has seen on Facebook and Twitter when I announced that WeatherCat is on the case. That's all running on my media server, which also, right now, it's not serving any media. It's uh, It's got the weather radar on the big screen. Ooh, that doesn't look good. Okay, I'll get through as much of this as I can. Why would anyone need a media server I was way ahead of the crowd in cord cutting yet it's kind of funny back when I did it there was not a name for it but now it is a phenomenon that the major media companies really freak out over cord cutting is where you basically you give up your cable TV you give up on watching TV any way other than on a computer either streaming or local, which is how I do it. Now, a media server was kind of a natural thing for me to build at a certain point, because years before that I had gotten very accustomed to quite a large DVD collection. Years before that I had possibly an even larger VHS collection, a lot of it just recorded off-air. Now, finances and reality demanded that a lot of the DVD collection that I had spent... uh, I don't even care to speculate how much money I spent building this collection. It needed to go. It needed to be flipped because we had house payments to make, and I was out of work being Mr. Stay-at-home dad. So it was time to sell off the DVDs, but... Fortunately for me, large hard drives in the neighborhood of 1 and 2 terabytes were starting to happen at about that time, so it was time to uh, start ripping some DVDs and turn around and sell them. I realized that there's a gray area there legally, I suppose. There's an argument that if you are disposing, well, not really disposing of, if you are reselling the physical media you should not be able to hang on to their contents. Um. I can't find myself disagreeing with that. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the forums at the logbook a little while ago. There was an interesting discussion recently about Steam games and the fact that Steam can render them inoperable or a company going out of business and shutting down its servers may render a Steam game inoperable. And how, you know, for the most part, the old days of games on physical media, whether you're talking about disc-based media or cartridges, that didn't happen. The whole game was in there. It did not exist mostly on a server, and it wouldn't stop working if a server got shut down because no one had servers back then. I kind of found myself in that argument gravitating toward the argument that if you have the physical media, short of broadcasting it, you can do what you want with it. So, you know, the studios, the writers, the actors, the directors, the whole Peanuts gang, they've gotten my money. So, that's a, that's a debate that could become its own whole podcast. Podcast. And I don't really care for it to be that tonight. (laughs) So, needless to say, there was a lot of DVD ripping going on. So I could hang on to the stuff that I had collected. Some of which was rare. Some of which was region 2 PAL material. That still is not available in the U.S. That I had amassed over the years. And could not easily be replaced. I would not be able to get a copy of that again, is basically what I'm saying. So, yes, I preserved it digitally in the best quality that I could afford to fit into the space that I had at the time. Another reason that I built a media server is that, at least in theory, Wi-Fi could serve anything in the house, and you wouldn't necessarily need to be physically connected to the machine holding the media. Now this was kind of important because at the time we had just started getting into the the world of Android tablets which I was I was so impressed with at the time, boy, that was that was the future. I still have my Android tablets. One of them still works fairly well. <laughs> and uh the idea was that we could stream stuff from the media server to the tablets, watch stuff on the tablets, listen to stuff on the tablets, and just, you know, leave the server computer alone. The truth of the matter is, way back in the early 90s when I went from cassette to CD and first had that that moment of being able to just punch in a track number and go straight to that song instead of fast-forwarding to it, Basically, I crossed the Rubicon into random access media. I don't think I could preserve my sanity going back to a rewind and fast-forward world. Random access is where it's at, and it doesn't get much more random access than a media server. So what do you need? Well... You need a computer that can do this. You need hard drives that can hold everything. The computer needs to be able to work consistently for long periods of time, and it's probably not the worst idea to not have it doing a whole bunch of other stuff. The the weather channel emulator program that I have running on my media server on this old LCD monitor over here that is a very low memory footprint application if I'm actually going to watch something that weather app is not going to slow it down any whereas if I had the radar up or if I had a lot of browser tabs open yeah then it would start to get a little bit creaky so I actually use the media server to send stuff directly to play play video directly out to my HDTV. So it is using two monitors. It's using this old 403 LCD desktop monitor, but its main monitor is a 42 inch television. And it's just fine with that. I mean Windows figured that out pretty quickly and it has not been a problem. You need media to stuff onto your hard drives Rip your own CDs, rip your own DVDs. That's that's really my recommendation. I do acknowledge that there are other ways to get things to populate your media server with. Yeah, I get that. I wasn't born yesterday, and you know, back in the days of Napster, I was not exactly uh, <laughs> I was not exactly Dudley Do Right. But, here's the thing, a lot of what you run into that you can download, I mean, let's just call it what it is, from, you know, nefarious means, is not going to be the best quality. As long as I'm ripping my own DVDs, I'm telling it, yes, I want it at this resolution, I want it at this bitrate, I want it to look as good as it possibly can so I there's a strong argument for ripping what you have got. A good router password and good router security is a very good thing to have. I kinda live out in the country, it's not that big a deal where I am, however, uh, my router does reach out to the street and I will tell you that in the years that I've had a Wi-Fi router and a media server at this house, twice I have had the dog alarm bark to a vehicle sitting at the top of the driveway where you know someone was trying to poke around and you know see what they could see, which wasn't a whole lot because I am a, uh, I'm a fan of really randomized passwords. So thanks for playing. Now, if you're living in an environment like an apartment complex or you know a house that's close to another house, oh yeah, you need to lock that stuff down. For a a great many reasons. Because then you get into the actual legal argument of whether or not you are actually broadcasting what's on your media server. And it's just best not to go there. (laughs) Lock down your Wi-Fi security. That's That's my advice. Who needs a media server? people who like convenience, like I said random access oh yeah, I love some random access <clears throat> people who re-watch stuff quite a bit, you know if you were going back and re-watching Stranger Things on Netflix over and over again to pick up the clues and you want to go back and watch the old Twin Peaks that you ripped into your media server, you can do that and of course, you know there is a third demographic, and that is uh let's see what the, the notes say. Crazy nutcases who live with a bunch of cats and write books about TV. Hey <clears throat> Moving on. Now, as I mentioned before, part of the idea behind getting a media server set up and on the Wi-Fi was that we would be streaming stuff to the tablets, watching it on the tablets. Here's the thing. That dream was never quite achieved because the tablets were kind of cranky about that. There was a very limited number of applications that would stream something from a local area network. And almost all of them demanded some really funky things like the the three-letter file extension has to be in all caps. You know, it can't be MP4, it's got to be MP4. And so, you know, you're sitting there looking at potentially going through and manually renaming hundreds of files. And it got to a point where it was like, (laughs) you know what, screw it. I'm going to play old Nintendo games and emulation on these tablets, and uh, we're not going to bother with it. Now, one thing I did find out that worked fantastically well, and this could also work for you if you still have a standard deaf TV, letter bomb your Wii. <clears throat> Suppose I should explain that letter bombing a Wii is a form of jailbreaking it. That's a very reliable way of jailbreaking a Nintendo Wii, and one of the things that you can put on a jailbroken Wii is something called Wii Media Center which that thing streamed stuff through the Wi-Fi like a pro. I can count probably on both hands the number of times it actually had a problem streaming something off the media server. So Wii Media Center is a wonderful thing. But the Wii is also tied to standard definition, which may not be what a lot of you were looking for, But I would be remiss if I did not point out that option. Like I said, I was really early climbing onto the... Well, there was no cord-cutting bandwagon when I had the cable company reduce the cable to internet only. There was no bandwagon. There were not lots of people doing it. In fact, they were really flummoxed at the idea that I would request that. But, but let's sell you this bundle for a discount that in three months is going to smack you with a $120 a month cable bill no just cut the damn thing down to internet only please thank you end of conversation as my ex once said when they called to talk about the bill honey it's cox and I said no dear it's pricks <laughs> well this one's not safe for work Now, if you're like me and you've got a lot of TV shows, how do you organize all of that? It's a funny thing. There are media organizer programs out there, but I did not find any of them that did everything that I really wanted to do to organize my shows. I like clean, informative file names. You know, my usual file format that I use for a TV show Is going to be the name of the show, season number, episode number, the title, and then in parentheses, the original air date. So let let me actually call something up here. Okay, The Prisoner, episode 12, A Change of Mind, air date, December 15th, 1967. I could tell all that from the file name. So, how did I finally wind up organizing things? Thunderously, thunderously is how I organized it. Basically, what I did was every show gets its own folder. Every season of that show, if it has multiple seasons, gets its own folder. Unless it's something like, you know, two really short seasons, then there's not much point in bothering. What I did with those is I then create shortcuts to those shows, the master folder for each show. And I copied the shortcuts into folders on my desktop. One marked title, one marked year, one marked genre, one marked country. Basically, the years are divided into decades, and so if I want to see something from the 70s, I click the year folder, go to the 1970s folder, and there's everything that aired episodes in the 1970s the genre folder. If I want to watch a superhero show, I will go into the genre folder click on superhero, and there are copies of all the shortcuts from everything from The Adventures of Superman through the 1960s Batman series to you know, the latest episode of The Flash. Country, basically I use that for where a show originated, and it's it's kind of broad strokes. I stick... American-made shows and Canadian-made shows in the same folder because it's, um, it's, it's such a hazy line now. So much stuff for American networks is now filmed in Toronto or Vancouver that you'd almost think Hollywood was going out of business. So, that's how I have everything set up. Basically, it's a lot of shortcuts. Now, the drawback to that is that if you move something, you know, if you swap drives or if you have to rebuild a drive or something like that or if you need to shuffle shows around to create more space on one drive then you've got to redo a bunch of shortcuts and that's a bit of a pain in the butt but for the moment I have the time to do that sort of thing and so that's how I have it set up. Now the natural question is what fresh hell is this? Oh, another new severe thunderstorm warning. Yeah, I can see why. That one's a big red monster. I apologize for Gabby. I don't know if you can hear the poor dog whimpering away over here in the corner. I always bring her in when it's bad weather outside. And the rain is starting good. Maybe it'll drop below 80 degrees now, seeing as it's a quarter after midnight and it's still 80 degrees. Okay, the question (laughs) that I was going to bring up before I got interrupted there. The natural question, why don't you just stream this stuff? Why don't you just get Netflix and so on? Well, you know what? Uh, Right outside the windows is one of the big reasons why I don't. I live in a rural area with a lot of storms, and I do not have the most reliable cable connection in the world uh you would be amazed what degrades the performance of the cable connection out here when i moved to this house out in the country which i dearly love i you know i am very much of the opinion that uh i am making payments on the house that i'm going to die in or you know the house <laughs> okay maybe i should rephrase that you know the house that will be my physical address whenever I leave this world. Not that I am planning on doing that ahead of my expiration date. I really love it out here. I don't plan on moving anytime soon. This is where my kids are, I've got a bunch of critters who are perfectly happy out here, and I don't think I could readjust to city life to save my soul. I've gotten so accustomed to life out in the country, even though you know, my my answer to life out in the country is you walk in the front door and, you know, you're in techno heaven. There's a media server with a big screen and there's a screen that always has the weather on it. Yeah, you, you know, you're really a country mouse out here. But the point is, this is the end of the line for the cable out in this uh, part of the county. You know, when I bought the house and I called the cable company, they said, wait, wait, I don't think we can hook you up. And it, they came out and they said, oh, wait, yes, we can hook you up. You are at the very end of the line. So basically, as far as bandwidth, <laughs> I've got everyone else's leftovers because I am the last node on the chain. So there's a really good reason to not be streaming stuff all the time. And, you know, with the weather raging outside, I also have to bring up the program that I discussed in last month's show, Interwarn, which will put little weather crawls across your screen. That's a really neat setup to have on the media server machine, because basically you're still getting the the necessary safety message interrupts that you would be getting if you were watching live TV. I've gotten very used to the convenience of watching what I want when I want. And so the media server is my answer to that. And it's my guarantee of having access to the stuff that over the years I paid for. And, you know, then in some respects what the physical media divested myself of. So that, friends, is the... The media server story, the media server rationale. I'll include some photos to sort of explain the folder system that I was talking about earlier. And uh, that will probably illustrate that better than me talking about it. Needless to say, if you have any questions, hit me up. So friends, we have come to the end of our show. I'm gonna wrap this up because the uh the stuff's about to hit the fan outside. But but before I leave, I want to announce the beginning of a monthly contest on the logbook.com's podcasts. On the logbook.com's monthly podcasts, I suppose I should point that out. This really pertains to select game and don't give this tape to Earl. This month we are starting to do a giveaway if you can answer questions about both shows. Which means, yeah, you actually have to listen to both my shows. You have to listen to me rambling, uh, first off, about whatever the heck this show is about, and then about Odyssey 2 games. So, what could possibly go wrong? All of the answers... Or both of the answers really can be found in this month's Select Game and this month's Don't Give This Tape to Earl, which you're listening to the tail end of right now. Both questions have to be answered. And what do you win? You win a pile of the Logbook.com original stickers from our Red Bubble store. That includes the new site logo that everyone really seems to be jazzed about, it includes the Escape Pod Mission Patch, it includes several Select Game stickers including K.C. Munchkin by himself and a K.C. Munchkin game screen with the select game logo. It includes a a little original design called Video Vincent, which is an 8-bit style homage to a certain floating robot from a certain 1979 space movie that many people (laughs) hold in extreme disregard, but I like it anyway. Hey, and there's even one of these little mission patches for the Voyager space mission before its name change. You can enter from anywhere in the world. You win all this stuff, who knows. I may throw something else in there, too. I might just go completely nuts. I might already be completely nuts. Well, you heard that one. Okay. All entries are due by noon central time in the United States on June 7th, 2017. One winner will be chosen at random. Send your answers to earl at thelogbook.com. So, here are your trivia questions that can be answered if you have listened to this month's podcasts. First off, what was the original name of NASA's Voyager mission? original name of NASA's Voyager mission before it was Voyager, and name one unreleased Odyssey 2 game mentioned in this month's Select Game podcast. Again, we are looking for the title of one unreleased Odyssey 2 game. I might be mentioning more than one, so there are a couple of ways you can answer that one. So we just need an unreleased Odyssey 2 game mentioned in this month's select game podcast. Again, get your entries to Earl EarlAtTheLogbook.com by noon central time, U.S. On the 7th of June, 2017, one winner of the prize pack will be chosen at random, and that winner will be announced in next month's shows. It's going to be fun. I've stocked up on enough stickers to uh, to do this for about three months. We'll see if there's (laughs) actually anyone listening. This is one sure way to find that out. So, there you go. You could be the lucky winner. Heck, you could be the only person listening, for all I know. He said thunderously. All right. That's it for (laughs) Don't Give This Tape to Earl for the month of May. I am going to shut this stuff down and hand it over to Thor for the night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Don't Give This Tape to Earl. You can find the podcast at thelogbook.com slash thistape on FeedBurner, and on iTunes every month that it's produced. If you like this and The Logbook's other podcasts, feel free to support us at patreon.com slash thelogbook. Your support has a direct impact on site hosting costs, podcast production, and other great content. Don't Give This Tape to Earl was written, produced, and hosted by Earl Green, who also did the music, so you probably shouldn't give a synthesizer to Earl either. Especially not if there's a tape nearby. Okay, so when I said I dug out Star Trek four to check for that line, okay, I lied. I lied like the President of the United States. Oh, saved by the bell. <laughs>